God, 12 years ago, you laid it upon the hearts of the leaders of Alliance Fellowship Church to carve out a place for the next generation and beyond to worship. And Lord, today we see the fruits of that vision and that sacrifice in this church that you are blessing every day. We pause to give you thanks for our mother church. We thank you for their generosity and sacrifice. For the way that it has cost them to lay a foundation for harvest, and yet they have never complained. And like a good parent, they released us in the right time. And I thank you, God, for the leadership of that church and for that congregation that loved us in that way. I pray, God, today that you will bless richly the people and the ministry of Alliance Fellowship Church. And I pray that as they worship today, you will pour forth your Holy Spirit upon them and allow them to see you and rejoice every time they hear good news about what's happening here at Harvest. I pray that they will know what a part they've played and you would encourage their hearts and prompt in them even greater visionary things for the kingdom of God. And I pray over the years that you will strengthen the relationship between our churches and let there always be a spirit of humility and Christ-like love and kingdom-mindedness between us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me about that. Well, in case you missed it, today's Mother's Day. And if you see anyone rushing out of the room, it's because they totally forgot and have to go and buy a gift and a card for their mom. Let me also just say that there's no such thing as Wife's Day, and so if your wife also happens to be a mother, don't just get a card for your mommy, get a card for your wife. Okay, let me just remind you of that little thing. Some guys just forget and they need to be prompted, so that's my public service announcement on behalf of all the wives who are also mothers. In the past years, I've delivered Mother's Day sermons that were about heroes of motherhood. Women out of scripture that embodied all the things that make motherhood noble and beautiful. And I've gotten some feedback from moms who said, you know, that was really pretty and great, but it frustrated me and I walked out of the sermon feeling even more of a loser than I was. Because you talked about these moms that are just giants of motherhood, but I don't think I'm like that. And so when you preach that way, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm withering in comparison. And so I heard that. I don't fully agree. <laughs> but I thought this year I might bless you moms who are frustrated and struggling by approaching it a little differently. And so you can see by that picture, that's pretty much what dinner time might look like at your house these days. And I chose the font because I think it, it makes me feel the way you might feel. Hang in there, moms. That's the title of the message. I want to offer a word of encouragement to those moms who are barely hanging on, juggling a lot of things. I want to say a few things to those who are stay-at-home moms, and I want to say a few things that will probably be especially blessing or challenging to the working moms in our congregation. And the way I want to kind of format this message is this way. I want to say a statement that a frazzled mother is tempted to say and believe about herself, and then I want to tell you what God's Word says and what you should be thinking and saying instead to replace your dysfunctional thoughts and feelings with the truth and encouraging words of God. Now, some of this I got just from living for 12 years with my own wife, Jeannie, who is a mother of four, and hearing her just pour out her heart to me. But I have heard from 
more than my fair share of mothers over my years at harvest. And so this is a kind of a, a collection of certain things that I think a lot of moms really struggle with. Let me give you the first one. A lot of moms are tempted to say of themselves, I'm just a mother. I'm just a mother. It's probably happened to almost every stay-at-home mom, especially. Right? You go to a dinner party and the other women are chattering on and on about their exciting careers and murders and acquisitions and emergency surgeries and saving lives and blah, 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 premieres and all of this. And then they turn to you and go, oh, Molly, so what do you do? And your days are filled with shopping lists and switching from winter to summer clothes into dressers, hanging up birthday decorations and checking homework. And not to say that working moms don't do any of that, but for the, the stay-at-home mom, that is the entire boundary of her world. Some stay-at-home moms don't share an adult conversation for more than five minutes a day. And that's the five minutes their husbands are willing to talk with them after they get back from work, before they fall asleep. And so you get that question, what is it that you do? And if you're a stay-at-home mom, there are times when you're tempted to feel pretty low about yourself. And you want to include in front of the word mom that other word, just. I'm just a mom. And the more insensitive people out there will add insult to injury by saying, oh, so you don't work for a living. <laughs> Stay-at-home moms just love hearing that. Don't they? Oh, yeah, we don't work for a living. The truth is, actually, they work very hard for a living. They just don't get paid for a living. That's the, the real truth behind stay-at-home moms. And so if you're a stay-at-home mom, there are times when you feel like, what is it that my life is about? Some of the people who feel this most sharply are the ones who used to be working moms, and made a very difficult choice to be a stay-at-home mom so that they have fresh in their minds the juxtaposition between their working life mentality and their stay-at-home life mentality. And the two worlds could not be more different. And they have all kinds of issues boiling up inside of them. There's definitely a tension in America between stay-at-home moms and working moms, isn't there? A, according to a recent poll by Family Circle magazine, listen to this. 73% of stay-at-home moms think that working moms judge them and look down on them. 66% of working moms think that stay-at-home moms look down on them and judge them. One thing they both agree on is that 86% of all moms agree they don't get any respect at all. I think there's even some debate in Christian circles about whether a woman ought to stay home after she has kids whether she ought to suspend that career for a certain period. And that's a really heated debate because that's not some neutral, distant question. That's a question right there in the flesh and blood of your own family. And there are some people who perceive, even in this church, that there's a rule or a policy. Let me be very clear on that, okay? I want to state very openly that if I had my preference, I'd love to see moms stay home with their kids until they're around six where they're in school full time. I say that because I see the value and the fruit of it when a mom is able to pour full time her energy and life into her children at that formative age. 
I've also seen some cases where that didn't happen and there was a great loss to the family because of the loss of connection. And so because I've seen the positive fruits, I can say without apology or hesitation, that would be my preference. Okay? I think that's fair enough. We can speak of preferences without feeling judged because we've chosen an alternative. I also think that it's possible to say I would prefer that without saying of the alternatives that they're morally wrong. There is not a chapter or verse in Scripture that guides us in this matter, but I do know this, that children don't complain when they have their moms as much as possible. And moms don't feel badly when they can be there with their kids as much as possible. In that same family circle poll, 77% of all working moms said they wish they could stay home full-time if they were able. And what that tells me is this, that for many families with working moms, it's, it's, it falls into two categories. One is they don't have any financial choice about the matter. It is a fiscal necessity because of where life's got them. And I can totally understand that. For others, the woman has such potency in the workplace, has so much to offer, they've made a, a, a very careful choice to say she must contribute to both family and the broader world. And I'll tell you, I've met some impressive women. I can agree with that assessment in a number of cases. I'll tell you, there are some women who need to be in both places because God has a calling for them. And so I want to be careful in our church not to form factions where we stare down our noses at one another and make people who've made prayerful choices feel guilty about where they're living their lives. Okay? I don't think life is so black and white in cases like this that we can make one stand over another. But without apology, I'll tell you, my preference, moms, is if God will bless you and you're able to do it, I think your kids would really be blessed to have you around all the time, shaping, speaking, forming Christ as well as family values into their young lives. Having said all that, if you've made the hard choice to be a stay-at-home mom, by hard I mean for us, when Jeannie decided to be a stay-at-home mom, she was making forty-five grand a year, and I was bringing home a whopping $11,700 a year. That's what we call economic retardation. And yet, we made that difficult choice. The Lord blessed it over time. We were scared out of our wits at points. But, you know, when you make that choice, it, it comes with the territory that a woman's whole sense of identity will now shift. And you sometimes wonder, is being a mom a good thing? The culture we live in certainly won't encourage you in that regard. We have seen a diminishing value for mothering and even fathering over the generations in this country, haven't we? So that it's commonplace to have the attitude, well, you're only a mom. I am a mom plus As if to say it's the plus thing that gives me my value as a woman or as a person. But I'm here to tell you that if you are nothing but a mom, you are one of the greatest things that God has called women ever to be. I want you to turn to Proverbs 31. I want you to look at something. If you have your Bibles handy, if not, I've put it on the slide for your easy reference. And I'm going to take it out of the English Standard Version here. I want to look at verse 10 and verse 29 to give you some words of encouragement, because this is what God says. Now, you know that Proverbs 31 is the classic passage on the perfect Christian woman, even though it's written in the Old Testament. And it's one of the most frustrating passages for women all over the world to get through. Okay? 
I don't know if there's a parallel verse like that for men except in those sections about being an elder and you just feel smaller and smaller as you're reading. But in this one, the context is a woman who is both a wife and a mother. So wherever you see wife or mother, you can interchange those two terms because it's presumed you're addressing both. And listen to what verse 10 says. An excellent wife and or mother who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. And by who can find, it doesn't mean they don't exist. It means they are rare. They are rare. But a a woman who is an excellent wife or mother, she is far more precious than jewels. That is not a sentiment that our culture at large is depositing in the hearts of women. Many women, it says in verse 29, have done excellently, but you surpass them all. You know what I take that verse to mean? It clearly affirms that women are capable of great excellence in many other endeavors and in no way diminishes the value of a woman's contribution to society at large. I just came back from Kenya and I watched the women on our team do all this medical stuff. and I'm just slack-jawed and all. I'm like, wow, you used to just be a lady at my church. And I'm looking at you like walking around saving lives. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible. They're using these terms I can't, I can't even spell. I probably couldn't pronounce them if I read them on a piece of paper. And they just rattle off the lips. And I say to you women, that there is nothing in you that is diminished compared to men, except maybe we could kick your butts in a physical fight 99% of the time. Let's just be honest about that. Some of you girls look like you might be able to take me, but for the most part, that's the one area, why don't we just openly admit you can't beat us, all right? In anything else, I'm telling you right now, there is nothing in Scripture or in all of Christendom that suggests women are in some way less capable than men. In no way does our Christian worldview diminish the contribution you can make as a woman in the workplace, in academia, in any other politics, in any other field of endeavor. You can hold your own and you can move things forward. You can be impressive and excellent in everything you do. That is clearly affirmed, and that is a part of what it means to be human. But in general, men can share that same statement. What is it that makes you uniquely woman so that you're not left just competing with men, but enjoying and embracing a role and an identity that men cannot share? What is it that makes you not just as good as a man, but holistically different than a man, and honors that identity which God breathed into you, which he has not given to men? I think one of the places where a woman finds that most deeply is in her role as a wife and a mother. I think that's what that's saying. Is that, yes, you can pursue many things, and like other women, you can do them excellently. But it is when you wear well the robe of motherhood and of marriage that you discover a joy as a woman that is reserved only for those roles. There's something beautiful about a woman who doesn't fight the fact that she is somebody's wife or somebody's mother and somehow see that as a big anchor tied around her neck but says that is one of the most joyful layers of my identity. You know, I see it in men too. There are guys I'll sit next to in a plane. They will go passionately on and on. I ask him, so, you know, Jack, what do you do for a living? Oh, and he takes out PowerPoints and shows me charts. I'm like... I can't, I, I don't care about his company, right? I, I could care less about the work he does. But at the end, I'll say, and do you have a family? And they're like, yeah, I got a picture here, whatever. I say, wow, 
It's like your job gets you all excited. Your family is not really a part of your identity you care that much about. It's, it's commonplace to see that attitude. But God tells us that if you're a mother, it is one of the most cherished roles you bring to life. And when you embrace it and you don't fight it, I'll tell you, you will experience a blessing from God as a woman that you can't get any other way. And if you're a working mom, this applies to you as well. You will find satisfaction in your career, but it will not compare to the satisfaction you will find in your role as a mother. I read a little statement once recently by, uh, what's her name, Uh, Tom Cruise's ex, Nicole Kidman. And she was just baldly saying, look, People out there try to pretend you can do it all and you flat out can't. If you pursue your career full bore, something else is going to give. And so she's testifying in this this magazine, I think called Self, that she now is very choosy about her projects because it's mathematically just honest to say, when you give fully to one thing, other things are going to start collapsing. And so if you are a mom and a working mom at that, you need to understand that in the two things that you have weighing you down and competing for your attentions, One of them will give you a certain measure of satisfaction, and another will eclipse that by a world. It is in your role as a mother that you should try to save the better parts of your energy. You women who are working moms, I know that you can cook with your left foot and change a diaper with your right hand. You can do all of it. But it's how you allocate the best parts of your attention and energy that make a world of difference in your world around you. And I want to encourage you to give the the good stuff to your employer, and the best stuff to your families. I think you will experience something that comes alive in you when you make that difficult choice. You know, I think it's interesting that when my kids want to have fun, they run to me. But when they're hurt, they run. I'm like holding my arms. Oh, come here. Are you okay? And they go run right past me. And they run right to mom. Like, whatever, dad. We got to go to mom. Because when you're hurt, who do you want? You take a 20-year-old soldier dying from this huge shrapnel wound in his chest. And who's he asking for? Tell my dad. No, they always said, tell my mother. I want my mommy. When you see a 300-pound NFL linebacker have the camera on him, he looks up, who does he say? Hi, dad. He said, hi, mom. There is something about a mother's love that profoundly touches the heart of a child, and it's permanent. I think the difference between a father's love and a mother's love is something like this. And this is a kind of a generalization, so don't carry it too far. But I think fathers give structuring love, guiding love, inspiring love, protecting love. But a mom's love, is a little, it's, it's healing love. It's nurturing love. It's like a father's love is what provides the pot and the soil and the, and the fertilizer and all that, but it's the mother's love that's like the sunshine that makes the thing grow. Do you know what I'm talking about? A dad could get me maybe uh, disciplined enough to get a good job, but a mom makes me want to live. That's the nature of a mother's love is she forms the heart of a person in her children. There's something powerful about a woman's ability to walk into any setting, and let's be honest about it, women cast the emotional climate over any group. All right? You want to determine what the emotional climate of a room is going to be like? The women will always determine it. Women determine the emotional climate of a family. I can walk into a household and probably within an hour tell you something about the woman of the house. 
Because you feel the woman. You might smell the man, but you feel the woman all over the place. Do you hear me? This is the power of a woman's role in life. And she can do that in a nurturing way for her family in the manner that even the best Mr. Mom in the world simply cannot light a candle to. I think a mother's love is so potent that I've held orphans in China who were discarded by their parents, and because they were never once loved or touched or held, they are genetically normal, but physically, emotionally, and cognitively completely debilitated, crippled, unable to speak, mentally retarded. And for only one reason, they never once were held with the nurturing love of a mother's embrace. I remember asking the woman who worked at the orphanage, do these kids have a genetic disorder? No, not at all. No birth defects. Just no one ever loved them. And it shows even in their physical features. A man named Dan Baber so deeply understood the value of his own mother's nurturing love for him that he posted an auction on eBay entitled Best Mother in the World. Now, don't get me wrong, he's not selling his mom on eBay. But here's what he offered to the winning bidder. If you're the winning bidder, my mother will send you an email that when you read it, will make you feel like you are the most special person on the earth. Do you know that 43,000 people visited that auction? 92 people bid for an email from this guy's mom. And the winning bid was $610. Does that not tell you how starved for nurturing love some people are whose mother did not or could not or would not provide it to them? So desperate are people out there. And this is the power you hold in your hand in your role as a mother that I want to encourage you. Now listen. It is not God's plan or purpose for every woman to experience motherhood. But the seeds of that same gift are in every woman. And I want you to know that if it's not your genetic, physical children that you're nurturing, I can tell you that God will bless any effort you make to pour out nurturing love on anyone or anything because this is at the heart of the essence of womanhood as God has formed it. And if you're not able to have children yet or ever, If that is not part of God's plan for your life, do not mourn that you have no outlet for your love because God has provided plenty of opportunities in the world around you to pour out that deep, nurturing love that is in you as a woman. And I encourage you, even as you're waiting for your own children to come, to pour it out in everything that's within your hand's reach because when you do it, it will be a vastly different effect than when a man attempts it. Don't ever, ever say, I'm just a mom. Because that nurturing love you pour out is one of the greatest things that God has put in you as a woman. It makes you more precious than jewels. And in every other thing you will ever excel at, if you excel at this, you will surpass them all. Here's another thing that moms are tempted to say and believe about themselves. I'm not... A very good mother. I'm not a very good mother. I bet that every mom has had a breakdown moment 
in their mothering experience. Maybe in anger and frustration, you struck your child. And just as your hand was meeting their butts or their face or whatever other part of their body you struck, you saw the look of terror in their eyes. (gasps) And you just, you're horrified at what you're capable of doing. And even as you struck them, you felt just like your life was over. Like, I can't believe I just became that woman. Or maybe you used your words. To deeply wound your child, do you know what they're insecure about? And you go, oh yeah, well at least I'm not... And you saw something break in that kid. Something just went snap. And you know what you did. Maybe it's not even as dramatic as that. Maybe you just forgot that your kid was having sack lunch instead of hot lunch. And they came home going, I'm starving because you forgot to give me my lunch. And all the other kids at lunch and just not me. And you're, I'm a terrible mother. I don't know what prompts it, but there are so many times when I hear moms wanting to say of themselves, I stink at this. Put another way, I'm ruining my kids. Or in an even more extreme expression, I think I'm causing my children permanent damage. Have you ever felt that way? You watch some of these Donna Reed type moms out there and they're like, oh, all the kids have like a label maker put on their lunch and everything. And there's a little note that says, dear Johnny, I love you. And it's got all this stamped and embossing and engraving and rhinestones. And, and you see that stuff and you're like, uh, do you, are you a vampire? Do you not sleep? And how do you pull that off? And you see these great moms and you feel even more diminished. And you're like, I'm a terrible mother. You know what we all do, though, is we gather a highlight reel in our minds of the best mothering we've ever seen, and we somehow start to insist that we become everything that a mother can be. What, what was that that just fell in? Oh, okay. So I thought it was me. And we begin to get very insecure. Moms, I know you struggle with this all the time. Because the truth is, whether you're watching TV or coming to church, it seems like there's always next to you another mom who's doing something right that you're doing wrong. You just lose your temper, and then you see that other mom going, Now, dear, we don't do that. And you know, and the kid goes, You're right, mommy. I confess my sins before Jesus and repent. I will do better, and I'll go and write the essay right now about it. And you're like, What? My kids don't talk to me like that. I don't even know where to start. I have to go all the way back to when they were two to imprint that stuff. It's already too late. That's another word that discourages moms. Too late. Your kid's a rotten teenager. And you go, oh, it's too late. I missed the window when I could have made him a good kid. That's, of course, a mythology. But we feel that, don't we? And I have no, if you have any doubts about your, your failings as a human being or your limitations, the remedy is to have kids. You have kids. You will come face to face with your failings as a human being. Every mom or dad wonders, will my children survive my imperfections? Here's the good news. That as long as God is in the picture, there's no such thing as permanent damage. As long as there is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is no scar that cannot be healed by the power of God. You know, we wonder, can our children survive our imperfections as if somehow the security of our children rests in our perfections? 
But where does the security and the hope for your children really lie? Well, I think some clue to that is given to us in what God's word says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Let's look at that. Let's look at that. Thanks. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I don't know where that word Jesus got thrown in there. But, you know, if you can have a stray word, that's a good one. Jesus. All right. Jesus. That's what you get for cutting and pasting. Sorry, I'm kind of embarrassed right now. See, here's what God is saying to us. When you're feeling the clayness of your jar, you're not discovering anything new or surprising to anyone. When you're face to face in despair with the reality that you are imperfect, I'm not saying just kind of pitch a tent and live there and be okay with it, but when you get there and you see it, God is not going to be shocked and go, oh my goodness, I thought you were perfect. He knows what you are. He has no illusions. You might, but he doesn't. And what God says to us is, you have always been nothing more than a jar of clay. But what makes you potent and significant and able to touch another life is not anything to do with you as a vessel, but it is this great treasure deposited in you. And let me put it another way for you. There is so much said about the grace of God and about this treasure that is greater than the vessel because in Christian life, our intention and desire will always exceed our ability. Okay? Let me say that again another way. As a Christian, I will always want to do better than I'm able to do. There is nothing I put my hands to that I do fully to the extent and in the manner that I wish I'd, I was. You know, I'm an anal person. Any of you else, other, other people that have OCD, I have obsessive compulsive disorder in, in some strange ways. I, I just, I, I'm like that, okay? If I start something, I just, I got to bring closure to it. And, and so here I am, I'm thinking, when I have quiet time, I want to have a well-formatted template on my computer that I take the same notes the same way every day and if I have a break in it I feel really weird about it and even my devotional life I have this standard I wish I could have a two hour quiet time every single day I wish I could start with a, a, a session of meditation with candles and quiet music and then I could play guitar really well and sing some quiet personal praise and then a, a Bible study that just gives me three new sermons because it's so profound and, and then I sit in the sanctuary and I just I'm enraptured in seventh heaven, and I, I wish I could do that every day. A lot of days, it's ten minutes. It's like, wow, there's a lot in that passage. Too bad I can't look at it anymore. i got to move on with my day. And I feel like everything I put in my hands, this sermon, these slides, everything I obsess over, and still I'm done, and I go, I could have still done a lot better than that. I can't believe after all those hours, this is it. There is nothing we do as Christians that we do well enough, is there? And, we, and yet God's got to work through that. My imperfect preaching, your imperfect small group leadership, your imperfect mothering and fathering, and yet God builds a world through all that imperfection. And that's exactly the point. 
that it is God building through our imperfections. When we say, I'm not very good at mothering or at anything, anything else, God's word says, yes, but that's because you are nothing more than a jar of clay. But here's the great news. There is a treasure deposited in you, and it is leaking out day by day. And that in your imperfection, there will be no room for doubt that the surpassing power goes to God and not to us. I've been reading a lot of history books lately about famous leaders. Not because I want to, but because I have to. It's for my doctoral work. But what I'm finding is there is no predictive pattern for the kind of childhood that produces greatness. 70% of the greatest heads of state in world history came out of the most troubled, dysfunctional homes you can imagine. That tells me something. I listen to these testimonies of great ministry leaders in our own country, in our own generation, and so many of them say, my dad was an alcoholic who beat all the kids. And yet through that imperfection, who are we glorifying? The perfect Ward and June Cleaver, you know, parents? Or are we saying, isn't God amazing that out of the ashes of this messed up family, a beautiful life can arise? Isn't that actually the point? Is that in our imperfection, God is still working. If you flip to the next slide, that's really what you should be replacing it with is God is working in spite of your imperfections. That doesn't mean you need to embrace your imperfections as a source of joy. Work. Try to improve. But know this, you will never be perfect enough, will you? Some of us won't even start something because we're so afraid we can't finish it perfectly. That's one of the faces of perfection as a syndrome. Is that you say no to everything because you can't be perfect in anything. That's a flaw. And it offends God who tells you you were never meant to have the illusion that perfection was an attainable thing in this life. You will always be imperfect. And yet I have faith. Do you get that? Faith. That given my imperfections, my child is still more in God's hands than in my own. Here's another thing you need to hear about that. You need to know how to move on. Listen to what God's word says. I love Paul's attitude in Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But what does he do? I press on. Do you know that that word has like, it's like when you're on the last rep. I have vague memories of this when I actually went to the gym. Lifting a weight and you're kind of done. Oh, that's it. And the guy's sweating and drooling over you. Come on, one more. And you press that last one up. Your arms are shaking like this. Well, you can do it. It is that last strain of effort that is spoken of here. Though you don't want to, you make yourself do it. You press on and get up and try again. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Next slide. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. I think that verse has such relevance to parenting. Because in our failures, Jeannie and I have sat in the hallway of our bedroom, weeping many times, thinking, we're terrible parents, and I'm the pastor. 
It makes it worse. Like, I'm not just a bad father. I'm a bad pastor and a bad Christian and a bad human being and on and on. Because we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have acted this way. And at that moment, the greatest challenge is to want to keep being a dad or a mom, isn't it? Isn't, isn't there just this petty, small side of you that says, forget it, I'm no good at this. I should have just never even had kids. I'm ruining them. And you want to give up. And God's word tells you that is not the attitude that God calls you to. But it is that even though you want to quit and be in self-pity, that you get up and say, well, tomorrow's a new day. I am called to honor God today and leave tomorrow or yesterday behind me. It's a hard thing to do as a failed parent. But that is what we do day after day after day. We press on. We don't give up. You know, God doesn't expect you to be perfect. But he does expect you to never stop pressing on. Moms, when you've hit rock bottom and you feel like you're a failure as a mom, you feel like you're causing permanent damage to your children, I want you to know that there is a God watching over you and your kids who loves that child more than you'll ever love him, who doesn't share your limitations as a person, who has strengths in every place where you have weakness. He cares about that kid too. You're not in it alone. And the thing that I love so much about children is that God has given them small brains. They are amazingly resilient. And it's amazing how one act of love can give them amnesia about ten acts of unkindness. This is at the heart of children. They have a closer touch to grace than we do. And I want you to know that your children aren't wanting you to pay penance for the sins of yesterday. They want you to have a renewed commitment to the love of today and tomorrow. Do you understand that? The only way you're going to cause permanent damage is if you permanently live in your dysfunctions and your failures. You move on and you press on. I promise you that God will allow that treasure to break forth out of that jar of clay. I want to just give you one last thing that moms are sometimes tempted to say. It's the same thing that a youth pastor or a pastor is tempted to say. Flip to that next slide, please. I'm not making a difference. Because here's the thing. I heard a testimony or a presentation yesterday where a guy who was a baseball player said, the thing I love about baseball is that after every at-bat, you know your stats. You know where you stand. That's the nice thing about school too, isn't it? You get a report card so you know exactly where you stand. They even give you that annoying number called your class rank to tell you how many people are smarter than you and how many people are dumber than you, right? And my class rank is 50 out of 50. (laughs) He's having the top 50. That's a nice thing to say. The thing about parenting, like many other things in life, is that you don't really know where you stand because it's such a slow process. You don't see the fruit until it's too late to make a change. You see, it's like the difference between standard photography and digital photography. Do you remember the old days when you'd have a setting and you were like, this is great, I want to get a picture because we'll never be together again. And you take the picture, but you have no idea until you come back from Walgreens whether you got everyone looking or that one guy was like, like this, you know, his eye was all goofy or was overexposed. Today in the era of digital photography, you get immediate feedback. There's the picture. 
Right? This is what we call the digital photography position. You know, you don't even have anything up to your face anymore. You're just down like this. And you can see immediately how you did. Parenting is more like the old-fashioned way. You do what you can in faith and you, you hope to God that when the fruit is born, it's good and not rotten. And that's all we can manage as parents, isn't it? And so it's a frustrating thing because you're trying and trying and trying, but you really don't know yet. Am I making any difference? Well, let me give you a last verse of what God's word says to us. The end of verse, Proverbs 31 says this, Her children rise up, and that's really more, will rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. You know what that tells me is that the woman who plods ahead faithfully in obedience to God, wearing her role as wife and mother well, she doesn't need to leave it to chance whether God will be glorified and fruit will be born because this is God's domain now. And he says to her, you do your job, woman. And I tell you this, there will come a day when your children will rise up and call you blessed. Isn't it sad that we have to wait for that reward like 30 years for the kid to finally mature enough to go, I guess I owe you something after all. (laughs) Thanks, I guess. Here's some roses for all the hardship that I caused you. But it's gratifying nonetheless. Because what you realize is in the moment when you couldn't do anything differently, what you did was picked up and blessed. And God honored it. You flip to the next slide there. Women, don't get too worked up there. But uh, I didn't have another model, so I just took a picture of myself there. And I uh, photoshopped a tattoo on the arm. Got a lot of sun in Africa. Here's what God wants you to be saying. Instead of, I'm not making any difference. You're blessing them more than you realize. You know why I picked that photo? Because you could be the toughest guy. You look like the kind of guy who kills people as a hobby. But right there on that bicep is a heart-shaped tattoo that says, Mom. That just boggles my mind. I was looking at the FBI's most wanted list. Sometimes I do weird stuff like that at the past time. And I see the distinguishing features. Half these criminals has a mom tattoo. I don't think mom would be very proud, but what does that tell you? No matter how old, how tough, how bad you get, mom leaves a mark. Permanent one, if you've got a tattoo. But she leaves a tattoo on your heart. And the thing is, the mom who sows richly in faith will not be disappointed because a mother's love has a potency in God's hands that other things do not. I am amazed when I hear how many testimonies there are that a mother's faith-filled, patient, enduring love and prayer and fasting produced incredible change in her children's lives. Proverbs 31 acknowledges that there's always a feeling that mothering is a thankless business. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten a meal and just forgotten to say thank you because meals are just supposed to come. We sit down and I'm supposed to have something to put in my mouth. And I fill my pie hole and I burp, I get up and that's that. I've done my job. I've eaten for the day. Good job. You're eating. And it's like the food appears by magic. A few times I cook a meal, I make such a big deal out of it. I'm like, come on, everybody. Daddy made dinner. And I get so upset if they're not right at the table because, you know, I mean, my wife's always like, oh, dinner, everyone. 
And we're always slow to come. You know, it's such a thankless business. And you wonder, honestly, does anyone care? Is it making any difference? Would it even matter if I just ran off and left these kids to be raised by wolves? Or even worse, by their dad? Yesterday, about a dozen of us attended the HIV AIDS seminar. And I got there in time to hear the testimony of Christopher Yuan. You can read or you can actually watch the video of his testimony in full online at ChristopherYuan.com. Let me share a few things that really challenged and touched my heart. First thing I noticed is that he brought his mom with him. I thought that was a curious thing for a grown man to do. But it was so clear why he did it when he shared the story. Long story short, he ran very, very far from everything that had to do with God. He was deeply involved in the homosexual community. He was a very affluent and well-known drug dealer in the southeast of this country. And then the, the federal agents caught up with him, and they arrested him and put him in jail. And it was the nurse in the prison infirmary who informed him that he was HIV positive. Now, that's not a call any mom wants to get from her kid. Mom, I'm calling you from federal prison because I got HIV from having sex with dozens and dozens of strange men. Thing is, their family didn't start out as Christians. His mother, in the, in the course of working out her broken heart regarding him, came to know the Lord. And as she came to know the Lord, she became convinced that this young man needed the love of Jesus Christ more than condemnation. And at every turn that he was expecting her to lecture him and preach to him and condemn him, she loved him. For seven years, she sent him cards that were filled on every blank space with words of scripture. And he said he only opened them to see if there was money and threw them away. But at the end, in every letter, every card, she signed it, love you forever, mom. He was describing his attitude during the time. And let me be honest with you, as a man, as a father, all I could be thinking is, I'd pound that kid so hard. Punk. The way he was acting, he's describing his own attitude. As a man, I was just like, come on, bring it. I'm going to pound this little punk. I can't believe how callously he's treating his parents. But as a mom, she could actually sign every letter. Love you forever, mom. You all seen the posters. A grotesque face, and the caption is, a face only a mother could love. I love that phrase, because it's so true. Some of us, only a mother would love this, right? Like, <laughs> and your mom looks at you and goes, so cute. And everyone's thinking she's blind in one eye, but it's just a mom loves like that. Moms love with that stupid, crazy love. You know what I'm talking about? That no common sense having love. That I don't care what I see with my eyes, love. I just know what I feel with my heart kind of love. That's the power and potency of a mother's love. For seven years, she prayed and fasted for him. One time, she fasted 39 days for this kid. And so it was seven years into this ordeal that the Lord got a hold of this man while he was in prison. Fast forward to today, he's a graduate of Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton College. Says something about Moody that they took this guy 
He sent his application from jail, and a month after he was released, he was a student at MBI. That's a visionary institution right there. He has devoted the rest of his remaining days, who knows how many they are, because he's got AIDS. But he's devoted the remainder of his days to proclaiming the goodness of the love of Jesus Christ and the hope that God brings. And you know who's at the heart of his testimony besides Jesus? It's that mother of his who he brings to all these functions to show us that there is such power in a mother's love. No one else can understand it. And a mom's love just never lets go. Moms, are you making any difference? You'll never know until it's over. But here's the promise of the word of God. When everything seems hopeless and your parenting seems a failure and your kids turn out that bad, a mother's love filled with faith and endurance will pay off, and one day your children will stand and call you blessed. I just thought of this verse as I heard that testimony yesterday. Who knows if she ever imagined that day coming, but she never let up. Moms, it is worth it when you pour your life and your heart and soul into your children. No matter what your eyes are telling you, one day they will rise and call you blessed. Never, ever lose hope or give up. Moms, we salute you today. You've got a hard job. I had to do it once for four days. I want to buy my wife a private jet after that. When you want to say, I'm just a mom, God's word says that you have one of the highest callings given to women. You are more precious than jewels. When you want to say, I'm a failure at this, I'm not a very good mother, God wants you to hear that you are nothing more than a jar of clay, but he has deposited in you a great treasure so that through you, his surpassing power would be seen. He is working in spite of your imperfections. Amen? When you're defeated and you're wondering, am I even making a difference? God's word says to you, have faith. Because one day, if you persevere, your children will rise and call you blessed. There is power to transform in persevering mother's love. Can I just end with a story that I hope will touch your heart and prompt you to go from this place and do something for the mothers in your life? Princess Alice was the second daughter of England's Queen Victoria. She lived in a time when a devastating illness called black diphtheria was going all over Europe. And all of her children contracted it, but her treasured little son, four-year-old, she called him Ernie. When he got the disease, her heart was devastated. One day she overheard him whisper in confusion to a nurse, Why does mother no longer come and kiss me? And hearing those words just melted her mother's heart. And she rushed in and pushed the nurse aside and showered him with kisses. And it cost her her life. A few days later, they were both buried together. And I share that story to tell you that there's something special about mother's love. I can't explain what makes a mom do that, but she was compelled 
by the heart of love that God puts in all women. It may be numbed because of pain or disobedience in you, but I think it's there. And some of you are, are pumping it out with wild abandon, and I tell you, it is so worth it. Women, it is an incredible thing that God's put in you, the power to nurture and transform that kind of love. I hope that little story will compel you to think about the mother who gave you life. And do something to be a blessing to her today in whatever way you can. If she's no longer with us, do something in her memory that stands for what she stood for and will put a smile on her face in heaven. If you're married to a woman who's a mom, make sure that today she knows it's her day too. Why don't we bow in prayer together? You know, this message was from moms, but I think God is speaking really to all of us, isn't he? Every one of us struggles with a low view of our identity. We're so tempted to say of ourselves, I am just a fill-in-the-blank. But you are not what you feel you are. You are what God tells you you are and what God tells you you can be. Never let your failures or frustrations or even the voices of this world tell you who you are. You listen to the voice of God to know your identity. Every one of us fails at something that we're supposed to do well. And in those moments of failure, you just want to give up. You want to let the failure wash over you and suck out of you that will to press on. And God tells you that he has put a great treasure in that flawed vessel. And though you are imperfect, it will not keep him from working. For he will work in spite of your imperfections and glory will go to him. We wonder if the things we do at great cost are worth it in the end. Sadly, you won't know until it's too late to do differently. But this is where faith drives us. Because when we live in faith, we will reap fruit. Press on today and don't give up. Because someday, you will see God's vindication and you will see the fruit. That applies to all of us. But today, especially if you're a mom, Those words are for you. Let the Spirit and Word of God lift you up out of your struggles to a whole new plane of mothering. Let's pray together as a church. And if you're able, let's pray also for the moms in our lives as we pray right now. Let's pray.